Welcome to episode nine of Jesus and the Meteorologists. My name is Kevin Cookagee, and I'm your host. Our subject is discernment, and our aim is to teach, to elevate your minds, and to exalt your courage, to accelerate and animate your industry and activity, and to excite in you an ambition to excel in every capacity, faculty, and virtue. Our mission is to inspire young men and women, and their parents, to understand the present in order to prepare for the future, a task that necessarily demands a proper interpretation of the past. Our aim is to highlight the antithesis between the way of the Lord and the ways of the world, between the truth of Scripture and the opinions of men, so that we might reflect the light of life in a culture of death. Ladies and gentlemen, I apologize in advance for my voice this week. I had a cold last week, and I actually feel great today, but in coughing up everything that I need to cough up, my voice is, uh, my vocal cords are not what they should be. I also thought that last week would conclude, at least temporarily, our discussion of pretending has consequences, but something that occurred recently in the state of California presented another relevant, teachable moment for us to consider. By now, you may have heard that California recently became the first of the United States to pass legislation guaranteeing a minimum income with no strings attached. You heard me right, ladies and gentlemen. The state of California has set aside annually 35 million taxpayer dollars, an amount that will surely increase over time, to establish monthly cash payments for residents including even minors who can spend the 500 to $1,000 per month however, whenever, and wherever they wish. This isn't just another welfare program, which are beset with problems too numerous to discuss here. California's adoption of a promise-to-pay universal basic income is far worse, giving more evidence of the precipitous decline of America from a free market operating according to God's revelation to a top-down authoritarian regime managed according to the dictates and premises of unelected, self-appointed bureaucrats. And as California goes, so eventually goes the rest of America. Perhaps the most shocking aspect of California's legislation is that it was passed unanimously. Other than one lone Republican who merely abstained, which takes little courage, by the way, the decision to provide what they like to call universal basic income was resisted by no one and celebrated by every single legislator, both House and Senate in the California State House. The bill passed 36 to 0 in the State Senate and 64 to 0 in the Assembly. Therefore, since we took a deep, albeit brief, dive on Episode 8 into the dangers of pretending with communism, and since the passage of such irresponsible legislation in California continues the perilous trend toward communism, It is incumbent upon us to discern with our students why a promise by government, any government, to provide such a guaranteed income is guaranteed to fail. When we return, I will engage with our students in our hypothesis of the week and ask them to consider and comment upon the various premises and assumptions behind these utopian-sounding government promises. You are listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists. So I wrote a little book all the way back in 2009 to address what was happening in America and what was likely to happen if we did not take corrective action. Unfortunately, too many of my predictions are coming true. The only surprise is the speed at which we have reached the precipice. 
The title of that little book is The Experts, and you can buy it on our webpage. Just go to JesusAndTheMeteorologist.com, click the image of the little brown book, and we'll send it to you for only $9.99. And then be sure to let me know what you think. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologists, a weekly squidget devoted to the topic of discernment. I am your host, Kevin Kukuchi. With us in the studio today are three young women, all former students of mine, and each of whom can be described as icebergs, not snowflakes. Ladies, will you please introduce yourselves to our audience? Penelope. I'm Katie. And I'm Winnie. Penelope, Katie, and Winnie, welcome and welcome back. Let us now prepare to enter the... Hypothesis of hypothesis. Okay, our hypothesis this week is universal basic income provided by the government is good. True or false? Starting with Winnie. Oh, false. 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 Ding, ding, ding. I think that deserves a penguin's goal horn. Yes. Okay, before we ask you to explain the reasoning behind your answers... I think it's important for us to examine the various unargued assumptions behind a promise by government to provide what is essentially a taxpayer-funded salary for every citizen. And by unargued assumptions, we mean the unstated or unspecified premise upon which a decision, a statement, an action, or a promise is made. Penelope, Katie, Winnie, how many unargued assumptions can you identify in a universal basic income program? Well, one of them is that the people um, need the government's help. First all right. Of all. So when a government promises to provide income for everybody, one of the assumptions is, say it again. That the people need the government's help. That people need the government's help. Okay. So if they need the government's help, what is the other assumption that goes hand in hand with that assumption? That the government can help. That the government can help and... Uh, that it's the government's job to help. That it's the government's job to help. What else? Penelope? There's one more in that in that line of thinking. That the government can, that it's government's job. You need more TikToks to help you? No, that would not help. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to a different assumption. Penelope, what other assumptions does the establishment of a universal, basically, government giving you your salary for doing nothing except existing, breathing, what else does that imply or assume? That the government is helping the people. Okay, that by providing that money, government is helping. That's a good, that's a good assumption. What else? I'll open up to all play. Uh, maybe that there's enough money to go around and they can give it to everybody. Okay, that there is enough money to go around. And that they, what was the second part you said, Katie? Can give it to everybody. That they can give it to everybody. Mm -hmm. What else? How about that money is the answer to the problem of poverty, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I think is a pretty basic assumption that people make. In fact, governments always make the assumption that money's the answer to everything, right? You got a problem? Throw more money. Didn't solve the problem? Well, we just needed more money. I think the assumption that money is the answer to poverty plays out in the comment by one of the legislators, actually a Republican again, disappointingly so. California state leader Scott Wilk said, this is according to the Associated Press, 
He said the statistics for our foster youth are devastating. We should be doing all we can to lift these young people up. Now, what is the assumption in his comment? His assumption is that giving them more money would lift them up. And how about something more basic? That is true. But what's the other assumption that? That they needed to be lifted up. That they need to be lifted up. That is also true. And what's the third one? That the government needs to lift them up. Yeah, that it's the government's job to lift them up. Really? Rather than assuming that money should be thrown at the problem of foster youth, shouldn't we instead be asking why there's such a breakdown of the family? Why does foster care even exist? Right? Isn't that a more important and fundamental question? Yeah, yes. you're, you're nodding your heads, but the, <laughs> yes. the mic can't pick you. up the nods. Okay. Well, time doesn't permit us to evaluate all of the other assumptions, and there are more behind universal basic income. But suffice it to say, pretending that government can provide or has a duty to provide money to its citizens produces devastating consequences. And I'm going to depart from our normal structure here. Um, I need a little bit more time to pull all of this together because I think we need to now answer some of these questions. Unlike the premise behind universal basic income, the real duty of government is plainly described in our founding documents, right? The Declaration of Independence, which established a philosophical and moral basis for our system of government, famously asserts that governments are instituted among men to secure their rights, deriving their just powers from whom? The consent of the government. The consent of the governed. Very good, Penelope. The Constitution then enumerates the powers of government necessary to secure those rights. We find that in the preamble to establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote, not provide for, but promote the general welfare, and to secure the blessings of liberty. So taken together, the Declaration and Constitution affirm the lessons of history and human nature that our founders studied concerning the proper duties and limits of government. And these principles are rooted actually in Scripture. No one more beautifully synthesized the duties and limits of government than Thomas Jefferson in his 1801 inaugural address where he said, With all these blessings, what more is necessary to make us a happy and prosperous people? Still one thing more, fellow citizens, a wise and frugal government, which shall restrain men from injuring one another, shall leave them otherwise free to regulate their own pursuits of industry and improvement, and which shall not take from the mouth of labor the bread it has earned. This is the sum of good government. Government fails when it gets off this mission, whether to hand out welfare or anything else. In fact, the collapse of states throughout the history of the world can be traced to their habit of inserting themselves into affairs where they do not belong while retreating from their obligations. And in many cases... Christians, unfortunately, actually contribute to the problem by conflating the kingdom of heaven with the kingdom of this world, advocating that the government solve problems for which it possesses neither the right nor the capacity. In so doing, we have surrendered to the state an undeserved moral authority to speak into issues where it has no business intruding and to act in areas that are exclusively reserved to God. One need only look at the issue of poverty to illustrate how this destroys society. Did you know that in the past 50 years alone, we have wasted over $1 trillion in the so-called war on poverty? And to what end? Broken families, greater dependency on government, and no decrease in the overall level of poverty. 
Now, the Bible commands that we are to care for the poor, to secure justice for the poor, and that judgment will come against those who pervert justice by showing favoritism either against the poor or for the poor. And despite the long history of temporal rulers and authorities playing God, this duty belongs to the church, the people of God, not the government. And it's important to note that Scripture does not suggest that we eliminate poverty or produce a society without the poor. Jesus said we would always have the poor with us. The aim to eliminate poverty, especially under sanction of law, results in all sorts of injustice, including taking from one group of people in order to give to another without the consent of either. That, ladies and gentlemen, is not charity. It is compulsion, and God admonishes against it. Go to Exodus, especially in the Ten Commandments. It says, Thou shalt not covet, and thou shalt not steal. And by the way, governments steal more than our money. Governments steal your liberty, they steal your property, and they steal your security. Social justice, a term that we hear way too much, is a euphemism for sanctioned or legalized coveting. It is an abomination from which we must repent. Justice, by definition, can only occur on an individual basis because responsibility is individual, not corporate. And without truth, eternal, transcendent, absolute truth, justice devolves to an instrument of those in power to wield according to their whims and their favorites. Indeed, compulsory aims to eliminate poverty or grand emotional appeals to produce a society without poor presupposes that we can be what God called us to be without giving to those in need or without being in the company of the poor. But can we? The focus of the word, the word of God, is not even in terms of poverty as a concept. I would imagine this is because the term poor refers to people that we are to love, whereas the concept of, quote, poverty is merely a cold, inanimate object to be conquered. When we return, we'll take questions from our listeners. This is Jesus and the Meteorologists. There are citizens in Tennessee working to reclaim the practice of self-governance in our state and ensure that a constitutional Republican form of government is preserved to future generations. We are Tennessee Stands. Do you want to get off the sidelines and learn how to stand for liberty in your community? Join us at TennesseeStands.org and on social media at Tennessee Stands. Welcome back to Jesus and the Meteorologists. My name, Froggy Voice and All, is Kevin Kukaji, and I am your host. By the way, if you have any questions from this week's program that you would like us to address in next week's episode, please submit your questions to questions at icebergsnotsnowflakes.com, and I will do my best to respond on a future episode. All right, we do have a question this week. Question from a listener is, where would the money even come from if everyone relied on the government to give them funds? Would there be anyone left to be taxed? It's a great question. Ronald Reagan actually um, did a good job of addressing the futility of these government handouts. Actually, when he was governor of California, 
He talked about the minimum wage, which at the time was probably about 4 or $5. And he said, look, if we're talking about guaranteeing minimum wage for someone, why are we limiting it to 4 or $5? Why not $25 an hour? Why not 50 or $100 an hour, right? And if we're talking about giving people things, why not give them a yacht? Why not two yachts, right? And of course, he got a lot of pushback, which proved his point. Ladies, why do you think that no one would propose? Why, why today do we limit this concept of minimum wage to $15? I mean, if we're talking about guaranteeing people's survival, who can live on $15 an hour, especially if you have a family? That's $30,000 a year. That's poverty. So if we're talking about guaranteeing something, aside from all the other problems, which we won't get into in this program, all of the other problems conceptually and structurally with offering a minimum wage, just on the financial question alone, why $15 an hour? Why not 20? Why not 100? I mean, if we're promising utopia, why not make it real utopia? Why not $1,000 an hour? Anybody? With such a high minimum wage, everything would just collapse. Yeah. Where does money come from? It comes from the people, the industries. Yeah, people create wealth, right? Government doesn't create wealth. I know they like to deceive and make the ignorant think that they create wealth, but all the government does is it takes money from the people by taxing it and decides what to do with it. And typically that means they're going to decide what to do with it according to their own desires and their own power, right, and their own worldview. It's a tacit admission by governments when they say, oh, we couldn't give more than $15 an hour, that they know that there's a limit that eventually the government and the whole society will collapse. That's all the time we have today, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks again to our icebergs, our producer, Rachel, and to all of our listeners and supporters. In the never-ending battle for hearts and minds, we aim to find and develop young men and women who, like the men of Issachar, understand the times and who know what to do. And how can we know what we're to do unless we believe what is true? My name is Kevin Kukachi, and you've been listening to Jesus and the Meteorologists.